0: DJ and PK, it's time to talk basketball with Tim Lacombe, Utah Jazz Game Analyst for the Zone Sports Network. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Get a Samsung S10 for $0 when you activate a new line of service with a Flex Lease. Now through December 26th, visit the Sprint store nearest you. Tim, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Tim?
1: I'm cold. as <laughs> <There's> ice. <laughs> I'm cold as ice, but willing to sacrifice a few minutes to speak with you guys.
0: Excellent. (laughs) Ice.
1: Ice, ice, baby.
0: Vanilla. So the Utah Jazz have won a couple games, but they haven't looked particularly good doing it. Is there value in that straightening things out, just getting a little positivity in the room because winning, as always, is better than losing. And they they got a month here where they got some winnable games. Do you sense a little bit of an upward trend or will it be a little bit of fool's gold here? What are you thinking?
1: No, I think we're, we're, on an, we're going on an upward trend here. Um, I think the next 20 games, um, the Jazz get really healthy. And, you know, both the locker room, uh, I think their chemistry has been decent Uh but I really like the shake or the, the makeup of the next 20 games in terms of strength of schedule. Um, you know, no backs, no back to backs, uh, and the fact that you know 15 of those 20 teams are going to play are under 500. So, you know, they, they played like a you know like last year. We talked about it. The early season was was tough and schedule was tough. You had that you know a little tougher schedule to a lot of new faces and. Um, guys trying to get acclimated to new rules, even guys that have come back. Um, and you know, you get a little bit of a mixed bag, but really like this team. I really like the makeup of it and, and love the way it's coached. And so uh, excited to see him make a run.
2: So for the sake of argument, let's say that Conley has been in a shooting slump and he hasn't found his consistent stroke that we all know he's capable of. And we all think, at least I do, I know DJ does and you're probably thinking too, that yeah, he's a proven commodity. So he's going to come around here probably sooner than later, I would think. But in the meantime, when you were coaching and you had somebody who was in a little bit of a slump, what can the coaching staff do to help him get out of it?
1: I think extra time, um, you know, before and after practice, which I'm sure is already as a pro, you're already doing, but especially during times where guys are are struggling, spend some extra time with them on and off the court. um, Really have the idea of of infusing a ton of confidence from from where you all sit to the to the player, and then um, and then I think that really just encouragement uh, during practice. It's maybe some extra film stuff to show maybe some things that they're not quite seeing. Um, but just time, you know, it's, it's, you can spend more time with them and show them you care because you really do uh, and really work on their confidence because that's really what this, to me, this is something where the data points or the history of what, um, what Mike's done in his career, you know, is all out there to be seen and then kind of how he started the season. Um, but then you take into effect that there's a major transition, you know, and that makes sense why the numbers would be the way they are and And just work with him to try to get him feeling good so that uh, he can get those numbers back to what he's normally used to. Do you
0: think a guy would it would all click into place at once, or would you think that different parts of the game would click in and you kind of put it together like a puzzle one piece at a time? And I ask that because, you know, the storyline is out there, well, Conley's having problems adjusting. But if you look, you know, especially when it comes to the shooting, which is what he was really supposed to add, one more guy who can shoot, you know, his three-point shooting number, while tragically low to begin the season, is back on his career average now. His free throw mm-hmm. percentage is off a little bit. The overall shooting percentage is still about seven points below his career average. Attribute that partly to uh, the numbers that were really bad the first month of the season, and partly to I don't think he's you know all the way back you know with the little floater that he always shot regularly. But do you see one part of the game after another adding up, or is that a little fool's gold and not enough big big enough sample size, and you're still worried about it?
1: No, I mean I think it's you know I think the game itself and kind of the process of the game there's a lot of there's a lot of carryover to life and very rarely do you know you're going through tough times very rarely does one you know all of a sudden things just fall in place and you're like oh that's what I need to do you know I mean once in a while something will happen and kind of trigger you and then kind of gets you back on the right track I think that's what how, how it works in sports too I think. You see a little bit of success, and you mentioned that earlier. I think that's the key phrase. You see a little bit of success, and you get, you know, a little juice out of that, and then it pushes you a little bit further, and you get you get a little bit more success, and then everything kind of falls into place. I think it's a process for sure.
2: One of the things to me, in my untrained eye, is I seem to think that, or I've noticed that, I believe that Ingles is playing better as a starter. And so I think that his production isn't near as good when he's on, coming off the bench for a multitude of reasons. With that in mind, would you consider keeping him in the starting lineup?
1: Well, I want to first start with your untrained eye. I, I would beg to differ. I think your eye is very trained. Thank you. Thank um, you. I don't like when you sell yourself short, and I'd appreciate it if you'd stop that. I feel like I just
2: got ordered. <laughs> that was
0: good, I, I
1: absolutely good agree with you, PK. I struggled. Um, you know, I, I tried to wrap my arms around what they were doing, and I kind of saw, hey, they need some points off the bench. I mean, that obviously became very obvious early in the season. But Joe just looked uncomfortable in that role to me, and he's such a good guy that he obviously accepted and wanted to do whatever he could for the team. But I have seen that different Joe uh, now that he's been starting these games. Um, And I wonder if you do put him in the starting lineup of what you're trying to get out of Royce. Maybe you get a little bit more out of Royce. Maybe it's done some things conversely, because Royce just doesn't get enough shots, in my opinion. I mean, Royce is not a guy you want to run plays for, but he's a three and D guy, and his whole purpose on the floor, um, you know, offensively or not his whole purpose, but a big strength of his on the floor is when that ball gets in the quote unquote blender, and he's the recipient of an extra pass and making a three, and there'll be, there'll be games where he only gets two shots, you know. So I think that speaks to maybe maybe Royce could be the blender meter how um, many shots does Royce get, and then I'll tell you how good the ball's moving. But I think it actually, I agree with that take, PK, and I think that it may help both guys to flip-flop roles. I have no idea what coaching staff's thinking, whether they do that or not, but that's certainly something that I see.
0: I think with Joe, I know with some guys it matters, it literally matters if they start the game when they've warmed up and they've been shooting or whether they sit for 10 minutes and they come in and they're playing against backups. I think with Joe, what it comes down to is he's so good at pit, running the pick-and-roll and Rudy's just way better at running the pick-and-roll and needs to be out there with a the big man where running the pick-and-roll is really his game.
1: Yeah, I. I um, and how many? How are any opportunities in that second unit to still really have a chance to do that too, Um so, yeah, I think the, I think that's definitely something that I love the way he runs pick and roll. I, I laughed at Donovan, you know, kind of capped on him last week that said, hey, you know, he's so slow coming off the pick and roll, but that's just because he's so slow, period. Um, but he does. He has a great pace coming off the pick and roll, and he reads everything. And um, You know, his floater ends up being two feet from the hoop because he gets so deep. Everybody's trying to decide what he's going to do with it. So um, I agree. I I do like Joe, and I think that's another piece of this. I like him in pick-and-roll as well.
2: Yeah, and also, too, I really think he helps the other guys because, you know, he doesn't beat you with his blazing quickness. All I think his athletic ability is underrated. But he gets guys other shots. He gets guys shots, man, and allows them to get in rhythm and – and just to know that Joe can do some stuff, I I think it helps Mitchell, and I think it, it helps Bogdanovich a lot.
1: Yeah, it's a, uh, it's definitely something to, to look at, and I think you make that point. You know, with the new guys and new acquisitions, they're trying to be what, and I and I don't single these guys out because they're the worst offenders, but I I point them out because like Conley and Moutier are two guys that, you know, have the ball in their hands and. Um, you know, and it's just coming from different organizations. What that means is different than what it means with, jazz, with the jazz organization. Now. A lot of places in the NBA, you got the ball in your hands; it's take 'em time. Whereas it, 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 with the jazz, you know, everything is calculated to the team, and it's all a matter of getting some kind of advantage, beating your guy. But then you got to read the situation. Beating your guy doesn't mean go lay it up or go take a floater. It means, hey, we've just started this process now, and now I'm responsible to make the right play. And so those are things the guys will all figure out. And and that's why we see Joe, particularly Donovan, those guys who have been in the system some, and they get into those ball screen situations, and you, you see a lot of good results.
0: So it looks like they've basically got six guys that they really count on, and when they go past that, whether they get protection out of a seventh or eighth guy just depends on the night. In Minnesota, the answer was yes, but the answer hasn't been yes often enough. Uh, against the Warriors, the answer was no. The, the, the whole bench, I thought, really had a rough night there. So do you think that that second group could benefit from playing differently, that maybe these guys don't have the skill set – to play with the blender and the multiple passes and it leads to turnovers? And uh, Would they be better off just making it more traditional? You get the ball in your hands, you go, you take your guy one-on-one and you play off of that, trying to get the other team into a scramble? Or is it not a good idea to have the team playing two really different ways like that? That's just going to confuse guys more. And that uh, Stick with what they're doing and try to make incremental progress.
1: I would stick with what you're doing and try to, try to make incremental progress because I, I do think... Um, as you as you start to see some success. And I mentioned the schedule's a little bit more favorable, so you're going to see a little more success. Um, you know, as the bench uh, has nights, you know, where they have had nights this year um, where they've actually contributed to a win and everybody's been, you know, plus and the plus minus. I mean, I think if if you can get just a few small wins out of the process and there's a whole lot of, you know, you don't want to sacrifice winning the game for wins, you know, incremental wins within the the organization, but because that's the end goal, you want to win all those games. But if you can get some small wins with each guy through this process, and I think the schedule sets up nicely for that, um, you know, then the Jazz should be hopefully firing on all cylinders here, you know, probably around the all-star break.
2: Cougars and NCAA tournament team?
1: I'd have to say so right now, for sure. Um you know, the number, I guess the net number came out. I mean, we, we the net number started a year ago. Um, I think they were, if I, if I read it right, I think they're 50 points higher than what we were last year. Um, it's just, it's remarkable. Uh, really, to me, the, the way they, they've come together and the way they're playing. Um, that Saturday game was a great game between two really, really good college basketball teams. Um, and it was really fun to watch. And... Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's still a lot of work to do. And, you know, I, I have lived the WCC and understand that there's, you know, there's there's a big team out in front of you that has been, you know, primarily the team you've got to beat every year. There's another really good team that stands in the way in St. Mary's. But it's all those potholes, you know. And, you know, it, what what is going to happen on a, on a February weekend in, say Malibu or or San Francisco I mean those games are all really all real games you know Pepperdine took Arizona to the buzzer in the desert um, I think uh, you know LMU has had some good wins everybody's got talent so it's just a matter of being able to stay focused like they're doing right now and, and winning games but you know if I'm voting right now I would say of all the game teams I've watched I think they're I think they're deserving of, of being in the in the tournament for sure.
0: I think the major improvement is what we've seen from them defensively. I think that equips them better for those road games in conference that trip them up. Because I thought a lot of the teams you were there with were having to outscore those teams on the road, and you can do that sometimes, but it's hard to do that every time, as you guys found. Yeah, out. Yeah,
1: and as and as twelve-year defensive coordinator, that's really tough to, to you know to hear. But um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, I mean, they are guarding. I thought you guys would laugh at that. Were you going to laugh? I felt a little bad, I but did. I was giggling inside. My voice, my <laughs> mouth was away from the
2: mic. I did laugh. They're
1: like, oh, no. Oh <laughs> No, they're guarding, man, and uh, and they're taking real pride in it. You know, the thing I'm really impressed with, too, being undersized is the way they rebound the ball. And that team was a lot bigger than them on Saturday. And man, they rebounded the ball. So, yeah, if you can get stops and rebound, and that travels, and that's something you take with you all the time. But I think they're potent offensively. I don't. I don't see them having. I think I got enough pieces, enough weapons that I don't see them really having a crazy, crazy off night from on the offensive end. So again, if that defensive mindset and the rebounding can travel, um, you know, Majerus used to say that uh, that you know everyone wants talk about offense, offense, but this is all about rebounding and defense. Okay, you know, well, cha- championships are won on the defensive end. So. Um, something like that.
2: Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly what he would say. I mean, there's no question about that's what he would say.
1: And they'd say, who's that little guy? Who, Who's the reporter with the notebook over there in the glasses? Looks like Rick Marinus." Uh, that's PK. Okay.
2: You know, that's why I love the game of Tony Kukok, because it was well-rounded.
1: Yeah, you know, Kukok, <laughs> that was always the best when you'd go in there with Fox and Talking sports. Oh, and Dave he was loved a it NBA too. Analyst. <laughs>
0: Dave, huh? Dave will bring it up even to this day.
1: <laughs> and, and, and he would try, I mean, it was like there was a contest to see how many times he could say Oh, kukok absolutely. <laughs> yeah. In a six minute segment. Yes.
0: Absolutely. 100%. So, uh,
1: Skip to Kukok. Kukok shoots chop eggs, then Kukok drives it. <laughs>
0: He gives it up to, and then gets it back and like you don't mention Jordan who gave the ball up to but you you just have to say Kukok as many times as possible.
1: Oh and, and what's crazy guys is it was it was a thing for him like every scattering report he would he just blister the guys names on purpose. It was it was hilarious.
2: Well, as long as you re- wreaked havoc, you were good to go.
1: He called uh he called uh, Ruggio, Hafa, he said, You know, this big blankety blank Santiago. He's. Santiago. <laughs> oh, you were just do it on purpose, man. It was great. Those were the days.
0: Well, Tim, as always. <laughs>
1: now you know why I got a screw loose.
0: Yeah. Well- <laughs> I lived through it. <laughs> we appreciate it, Tim. We'll talk to you again. All right. Okay. Thank you, guys. All right, there is Tim Lacombe on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.